spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I am Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And I'll always love to start by telling you what today is like for me. And it's been raining and raining and raining. And I'm in California and they say, oh, we have a drought. So it's been raining and raining and the water is everywhere. It's coming up on the sides of the fence and it's over in the boulevard. and, And I'm listening to the radio and they say, well, we still have a drought in Southern California. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they should look out the window. Um, we also were supposed to have snow last night and did not. And I'm looking outside, and it's sunshiny and beautiful. So whatever you're dealing with, that's the silliness going on in my part of the world. I'm really excited about today's show. But before I get into that, I want to remind you to stay to the very end of the show where I will do stories from the road. That part of the show is so exciting for me because I never know what I'm going to say till I get there. I try to base it on whatever came up during the talk with the guests, so it kind of leaves me also in wonderment of what's going to happen at the end of the show. So make sure you stay with me for that. And we're going to forego the okay, 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 great guest giveaway, and we're just going to get into today's guest. I'm very excited. I've actually tried to have Rochelle on the show many times, um, and it's just, you know, one of those things that you chase somebody and say, come on, I want you on the show, I want you on the show. But their schedule and your schedule, they're just not meshing. Well, we've managed to make it happen today, so it's It's a blessing for both of us, me and y'all. And the reason for me, because I love to check things off my list and say, there, I did it. Um, And also because I'm very excited about the information she's going to share, and so should you be. RDI is something I have not really covered. And so we've talked about so much. It's funny. I've tried, and it just hasn't worked out. So I'm really thrilled to be able to talk to Dr. Rochelle Sheely. I'm going to read a little bit of of her um, LinkedIn summary here so you get a sense of who she is, mainly because I didn't get a chance to get a bio from her. So here we go. Dr. Rochelle Sheely serves as the president of RDI Connect, as well as the head of professional training and supervision. For the past 15 years, she's been a leader in the development and logistical implementation of programs for both families and professionals working with children, adolescents, and adults with developmental disabilities. Okay, goes on and on, but we're going to get the rest from her. But what you have to understand from that is she knows her stuff. She's been around for a long time. She's well-versed in RDI and the perfect person for us to chat with. So, Dr. Rochelle Sheely, welcome to the show. Lynette, thank you so much for having me. Um, I agree with you. I don't know why our schedules didn't mesh before today, but it's a great dovetailing, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Yes, I'm happy to have you. Okay, so let's start. Um, I always try to get backstory, like how a person got into something, but first I want you to help people understand what RDI is because many won't already know about it. Okay. RDI stands for Relationship Development Intervention. And in a nutshell, um, I, I guess I would describe it, describe it as um, a program that 
teaches parents to be teachers for their own children. And by this I mean that parents learn to teach their children how to make sense of the kind of information that is hard for people with autism. And this is really hard work. I, I don't want to pretend that it isn't. It is hard. But what we do is we help parents teach their children to think in a new way. And thinking in this way is the best way we know to teach our brains to work better. So, like for you and me, as as we learn to think in new ways, we are actually changing our brains. And so that's what we that's the that's what's behind uh, all of the work that we've been doing for families of children who have autism. I hope does that describe it? Well, let's let's go a little deeper into it. So, when you say think in a new way, what would be the difference between how they're thinking before you start doing RDI and how they're thinking after? What we know about autism is that. <clears throat> um, in terms of the in terms of the recent research is that it's very difficult and some people say it's not there to distinguish what happens with um a child who later develops autism so in the beginning the kids look pretty much alike um i've had i had had many parents say to me i knew from day 1 there was something different but i always had a lot more parents say you know really wasn't any different from my other children in the beginning. And what we see and what the research is showing is that in the beginning, the children tend to look alike. And at about six months, sometimes a little bit later, but about six months, somewhere between six months and 18 months, they go into a different uh, different trajectory. So you'll see that the... um, the typically developing children go into a growth-seeking mode. And what this does is it activates for parents their intuitive sense, like, ah, oh, this is how I this is how I interact with my child. You know, and so they become growth promoters instead and while they're because their children are growth seeking. With autism, whatever happens with autism, the children become Stability maintaining, and so this dance, this typical, this dance of typical development, gets thrown off, and you'll see that the children are trying to maintain what they already know, and the parents' um, intuitive sense of how to parent gets thrown off. So what we do is we show the parents how to get their children to be better apprentices to them, the kind of apprentices that typically developing children are to their parents. That's awesome. I can't tell you how many times I've said to a parent, okay, let's pretend they're two years old and they did that. What would you have done? Because they lose those skills that they automatically did with their other kids, you know. And so the child comes and makes a weird sound and walks away. And I go, if they were two, you would have made something out of that, right? And so I love this. This is a very clear and very beautiful explanation. What would, let's say I'm a parent and I call you. I am a parent. I call you. I did call you. And, and I, and I say to you, all right, my child, um, 
doesn't doesn't care if I'm in the room or not. He's four years old. He's completely ignoring me. He used to care. He doesn't care now. I walk in the room. I say hello. He completely turns away. I just want him to pay attention to me. This is a common thing that you'll hear from parents. Um, what would be something you might respond with? And, you know, what you describe is what I often hear. And, you know, Lynette, I don't think I ever hear those words without it just breaking my heart. Because as parents, I have two grown children, but as parents, we have this idea of what it's going to be like when we're a, when we are parents, and we look forward to it. And then this autism raises its ugly head, and it robs it robs everybody, makes everybody feel incompetent. And so I, you know, I I clearly hear what you're saying. What I this is let me just describe what I what I would do. First of all, um, I think that um, as many different kinds of children as there are who have autism, there are that many different kinds of parents. And to rush in and prematurely say, do this or do that, is unfair. It's unfair to the parents because you don't know if it's going to work. So the way that the way that I approach, I always approach it the same way. So the approach is the same, but what we do tends to be different. Mm-hmm. I approach it with an assessment that uh, looks at the parent-child relationship. And in looking at this parent-child relationship, what I'm trying to understand is what are the what are the strengths of the child, what are the strengths of the parent, and how do we begin to help this parent get this child more in sync with them. And the only way you can the only way you can really do that is to start testing hypotheses. So after I've after I've uh, gotten like a, a little uh, a little sneak preview of what the parent and child look like together, this isn't me being in the room with the child. I just start out by saying to the parent, "Look, go in the room, set limits like you would at home, ask them bring toys from home, and I let them play together, and then I tape it so I can watch it." And they do that, and then I go in maybe two or three times with something, maybe like a set of drums, and say, you know, try to drum something, make up something together. Keep it very simple. And because the parent has a chance to get comfortable in our setting, you know, with the TV camera going, (laughs) and the child has a chance chance to get comfortable too, we get a really nice uh, sketch of what's going on. So then the second part of that is I start developing a hypothesis. And a hypothesis might be something like, um, I wonder what would happen if I were to go in the room and decrease my use of language or, if, or to decrease the demands put on the child. I wonder what would happen if I go in the room and stop asking the child questions. So this all evolves out of what I've been looking at when the parent and child are together. And then from that, I have a starting point. And that starting point is where I believe the child is going to be most responsive to the parent and where I can begin to help that parent do something we refer to as, we've got our jargon too, (laughs) 
noticeable differences. And okay. what we begin to build in this child is a sense of personal competence. And it's not competence that I can, you know, do my Legos, but it's a competence that uh, is, a, is a sort of self-assurance that you and I feel that kind of, that way we reward ourselves when we've done something well and that feeling of pride, like, wow, I figured that out. But the way we start with a child on the spectrum is to give the, to help the parent do these just noticeable differences, which helps the child see, wow, that was a little bit different, but I know what to do. I'm a smart person. Look what I figured out. And then those differences become, you know, they become bigger and bigger until we introduce what we refer to as a challenge. And a challenge is built on these just noticeable differences, but the thing about the challenge is that it presents something that hasn't been presented before. And it's at that point where the child becomes a little bit confused and figures out what to do, that we see the real mental growth occur. And so, in a nutshell, that's what we train the parents to do. The other thing that we train the parents to do is self-evaluate. So, anytime, um, all of, we do all, uh, a good part of our work is online. So, the parents send videotapes, but it's not just to say, how did I do? They send this video footage and a self-evaluation saying, the objective that we've been working on I think I'm okay with this. I think I've covered it, and so I think I'm ready to move on. Or, this is a disaster. <laughs> I'm quitting. Quick, quick, we need to get together. Of course, we have regularly scheduled times together, but we have a whole range of things in between. The importance of this self-evaluation is that in RDI, the consultant, our consultants are trained to work themselves out of a job not into a job. I love that. And so kind of in a nutshell, that's how we that's how we move forward um with the scenario you presented me with. That was so well explained. Uh, that, you're a doctor clearly and very well versed in your field. Um so a bunch of stuff came up for me. One of them was um I remember working with a client that was doing RDI and she pulled up a video of somebody on YouTube who was showing silent connection or silent communication with their child and they were just cooking together. Nobody was saying anything and they were using a lot of gestural um, you know, language but no actual verbal language. And you mentioned a little bit about, you know, what would happen if I spoke less or was quieter. Talk to me about that video I saw. Is that a typical thing that you might ask a parent to try and learn how to do? Because it's very basic to communication. It is basic communication. And um, I don't know the video. I don't know the video that you were talking to. But I can talk. I can talk about communication because it's so fundamental to the work that we're doing. Um, as you and I know, Lynette, that when you, when we communicate, and it's one reason why something like a podcast or talking on the phone or email can be really hard. I mean, how many times I've had, I had somebody attack me over an email because 
they didn't get it. They couldn't see my facial expression. They couldn't hear the tone. Right, right. <laughs> Fortunately, you know, we worked it out. But if you think about communication, it's um, what you know, upwards of eighty percent um, being all of those subtle nonverbal cues. And what our children uh, get very good at is they get very good at the language. And so they can answer questions, they can ask questions, but what they what they miss is they miss the intent behind what's being said. And when we miss the intent, we miss the communication. Now, it would be very extreme, to be honest with you, to ha- to set up communication that would be completely nonverbal. A time that I might do that would be with um, a, a child with a former diagnosis of Asperger's where that child would be just talking, 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 and we just really need to reduce that language so we can go back and work on the communication. Because if communication isn't broadband, then we're not really communicating, we're giving information. And an example I like to give of that is the example of, I hope I, I hope this comes through, um, if I were, if you and I were sitting together and I said, oh, I love your shirt. Or if I said, <laughs> nice shirt. I mean, right. you would, if I said it in the second way, you would turn to a friend that you were with and say, I hate her. No, I wouldn't. I'd say, "Oh, she needs help in her social communication skills." You would have said, "Let's go, let's go cook without saying anything." Knowing that I love to eat more than anything, but you can see that if you miss that, if you miss that, you're you're going to miss the complete intent of what I was saying, and you've got about fifteen to twenty percent of what communication is all about. So we do go back. And we do build in the nonverbal cues because we know that with with typical development, an RDI is based on what we've learned from the research in typical development. But if we go back, um, we we know we have to build in this this nonverbal communication and, you know, language and gesture and, you know, the language of tone of the voice and that kind of thing. Otherwise, our kids are they i mean they they're they're just going to get stuck in every part of their lives, and I believe it's why so many so many brilliant people who have autism struggle when it comes to the workplace i I agree, I agree they're just lost in the milieu of different signals um okay, I have to do the mid break, and then when we come back, hopefully you'll tell us how you ever got to be doing this, just to wrap up some of what Dr. Sheely has said. Um, clearly, I don't know if you're hearing it, but I am hearing it, relationship, 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 whether it's the relationship with your words and your actions, the relationship with tone and intonation, the relationship with your parent and your child, your child and your parent. Um, it's it's all based on how those things move and groove together, and I really think that it's an important piece of helping your autistic child, whether you do pure RDI or not. I hope you're listening to Dr. Sheely and really getting some tips and some ideas of the ways in which maybe you're falling short or making assumptions about your child and um, and changing that. That would be great, and then you'll change your brain. And remember, if it's challenging you, as Dr. Sheely said, that moment of challenge leads to growth. So if you're feeling a little confused and like, no. Nope, 
that's not what I thought. That's because you're about to pop through the other side and have a little bit more information and be even smarter as a mom or dad or as a person with uh, autism yourself trying to help yourself. So listen, listen, listen. All right, we'll be back in a second. Um, This is a new spin on autism answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today's a gorgeous day. Uh, Make sure you stay to the end of the show where I'll do stories from the road. And we're going to forego the okay, 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 great guest giveaway today. Uh, You know, the holidays are over. You don't get free stuff today. That's all I can say about that. We're talking with Dr. Rochelle Sheely, and she's the president of RDI Connect. She's also amazing, and she trains other people. She heads it all up, and she's been 15 years as a leader in the development and logistical implementation of programs in both families and professionals working with children, adolescents, and adults with developmental disabilities. She's amazing. Let's go back to her. How did you end up, Dr. Sheely, how did you end up doing this? What was your path? Okay. You know, (laughs) could I say one more thing before I go there? Absolutely. Okay. You know, uh, Lynette, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up something that I think we, uh, we forget sometimes in the field of autism. And we become so concerned about the relationships between parent and parents and children and the relationships of children with each other and that kind of thing, that we forget a huge problem in the field of autism is the relationship with self. And I want to bring that up because if we're always looking outwards and we're not thinking about the development of dynamic intelligence, we are overlooking the importance of the relationship each of us has with ourselves. And so one of the important, and the reason I want to say that is because when we're talking about having the parents do this work with their children, it replicates what happens in typical development. And in a nutshell, in typical development, the child, the baby, begins to see the world through the parent's eyes. And in seeing the world through the parent's eyes, they then begin to see the world through their own eyes. And we see that, you know, we see that with the kind of running away and coming back in the individuation. The reason we have to go back and we have to make the children better apprentices with their children is that in autism, instead of seeing the world through their parents' eyes first, the children see the world through their own eyes first. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that in before we That's Just what do you mean? So um, um, how I got interested in this, uh, I was working. Um, I was working with a psychologist who was doing social skills groups. No, 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 no. Back up. What do you mean by their own eyes first? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I didn't hear. That's that. okay. That's okay. I just want. I, I just want like a little clearer for people. Okay. So when you get a pers- when a when an infant gets a perspective on the world. The reason that infant gets it is because they are becoming good observers and natural imitators of their parents. And it's that and it's that way that they learn to uh it's that way that they learn to kind of navigate the world around them. And you can see when we see children who in the very in very extreme examples 
maybe look at a fan or, you know, want to close doors or they're still into that stability maintaining mode, they're not seeing how their parents see the world. They're only seeing it through this idiosyncratic way. So let me let me try and put this. So, for example, I cry, I get booby, it feels good, the end. Or I cry, I get booby, mom coos at me, she likes giving me, feeding me, singing to me. I start to get a sense of how happy she is because I feel her energy shift, which helps me see through her motivators. Something like that? Yeah, I wish I'd said it that way. <laughs> Maybe booby's not on your list. Okay, I just wanted to help them to see, you know, in, in a clear way. Okay, so let's go to how you got to this. Okay, well, I was, um, I was, um, my training originally was as uh, a teacher, and I had a master's in teaching. Worked in an inner city school in New Jersey, and I just loved, 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 loved teaching. And so when um, we moved to Houston, I had the opportunity to kind of assist with social skills groups. And one of the things that happened was these kids with uh, an autism spectrum disorder, and at that time, I think the, I think the incidence was maybe 1 in 10,000. So every now and then, one of these children would show up in a social skills group, and um, sometimes they had the diagnosis, sometimes they didn't but they were clearly different from the ADHD kids. I just loved those kids. And I intuitively had a sense of what to do with them. And so, you know, it it was a pretty, it was kind of pretty neat. So I began to pursue what this group of kids, who this group of kids, who, who are they, and what makes them different, and what do you do with them. So my entire uh, dif- dissertation, all of my graduate work, I, I got into a Ph.D. program, all of it was around the field of autism, and how do you, what do you do? I mean, I really had a pretty open uh, view of it then, because nobody was doing very much, and so I was just curious about what do you do? And the question that I asked, and then my uh, my husband and I began to ask together, was, is there a way to do a couple of things? Is there a way to reduce the cost? Because it, the the um, the cost of treating autism then was just like sky high, and is there a way to provide some normalcy to parents? because autism was ripping parents, uh, couples apart, and families apart. And so we wanted to see if we could do that. And in order to do that, we began to go back and look at typical development. So what I did was I took my video camera to the church I attend, and I said, could I video tape the kids in the nursery, and they said, sure. You know, oh, you wow. Could... Oh, well, back then, that was that simple, right? <laughs> yeah, that simple. I said, yeah, come on in. So, And I went to playgrounds, and I would say to parents, do you mind if I videotape your kids? And they said, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can see the difference between my husband, who is Steve Gutstein, by the way, and me. I'm out there videotaping people, and he's reading every bit of research there is to read. And then we pulled that together and we began to answer this question. Can we, can we begin to make families, 
can can we begin, begin to help families feel like a cohesive unit? Can we help these parents parent the children with autism the way they parent their other children? Can we help this child get on a better track? So the child's looking at the parents and saying, what are you going to teach me now? In the very same way that typically developing children do. So that's how I got involved in it. I loved it, and I felt like I was good at it. And I, you know how, you know, sometimes in our lives we have this feeling like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's the way I felt about it. That's what I'm supposed to be doing, and so that's what I'm doing. That's a great story. I love it. Um, so how did it end up being RDI, though? We, um, My husband published a book called Solving the Relationship Puzzle, and the, we didn't have a name for what we did. <laughs> so, so the the um, the publisher said you need you need to have a name, and so we're sitting in our kitchen, and we're just cro- we're throwing out names and crossing out names and coming up with names, and nothing seemed to fit. And then we sort of at the same time said relationship development intervention, and that's the best. That's my best memory of it. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. You know, I think that um, that's exactly what you do. Is you've, it, It's a well-named uh, intervention, and I also think it's actually very lovely because it brings, and, you know, so I'm giving you a stamp from me. I'm saying, yes. <laughs> it brings a kind of honor to the relationship, and at the end of the day, having raised many adopted special needs autistic kids, um, at the end of the day, it's the relationship that I want the most. And, you know, I have everything from kids that are uh, super successful to one that's still at home, and all of us have a great relationship and can communicate and find a way around. And um, I think if I have to lose anything, I'll lose all the skills but not the relationship. That's what I want with my family, and I think you're focused in all the right places. Um, you know, Lynette, one of the things that one of the I'm sorry, I just interrupted you. That's one what, of the things that I um, I think is so important is that um, none of us knows when we have um, children what those children are going to be able to achieve, achieve. They come to us with different interests, with different capabilities, and we don't say we're going to work any miracle. What we say is. Whatever your child is able to achieve, we're going to help you help your child achieve that. And so, you know, um, I look at I look at this broad spectrum of children that I've worked with, and now it's been many years, and I've seen many of them. And I feel that by taking that approach, whatever it is, whatever you're capable of doing, we're going to honor that, and we're going to help you achieve that. That's that's where we're coming from. That's very cool. Maybe we can do a husband and wife show next time. We're actually all out of time. Um, I would love you to take a moment now and tell people how to find you, uh, what resources you want to share, anything that you want to say, sort of your last moment to give a little golden piece of information um, before you say goodbye. Okay. The RDI book is on Kindle. It's just called the RDI book. That's <laughs> and easy. Then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's aptly named. And then our website is rdiconnect.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. All right. And a last piece of advice? Um, 
Yes, I do have a last piece of advice. I feel like our children have the best parents they could ever have to raise them. And I want to encourage everybody who's listening today, no matter which route you take, that you keep in your heart that you are the best parent for your child and move forward with that. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Rochelle. I really appreciate that you've been here today and shared your wisdom. That was Steve Gusky's wife. <laughs> it was so funny because I've been chasing Rochelle and um, never even thought to ask to interview Steve Gusky. So we'll, we'll, do, we'll see if we can get a husband and wife show at some point. But in the meantime, that was Dr. Rochelle Sheely. Uh, she was wonderful, very informative. If you've gotten it all curious, make sure you look her up at RDI Connect. All right. It is, we're not doing the, the great guest giveaway, so it is time for... Stories from the road. And I kept listening. When I was listening to Dr. Rochelle, uh, I don't know, maybe she likes the whole thing, Dr. Rochelle Sheely, I kept thinking about the very beginning when she first said how at around six months, and I've read, you know, various times, six months, nine months, um, by, by 18 months we can see it, but, you know, it depends on what you're reading, and I think the better we get at observing and knowing what we're looking for, the younger it gets. Um, but when she explained the concept of other children are growth-seeking, which actually draws behavior out of the parent, that is different from the child who is maintaining. Instead of growth-seeking is maintaining. Now, this is, this is very exciting to me for you to get the difference in that because the difference is you. And I think that was the whole point. So I was thinking, my mind's going, do I have a story? Do I have a story? Do I have a story? And I absolutely do. Okay, so I met this young boy, and he was, unfortunately, a lot of the time my stories are boys, and that's just because it's like a four-to-one ratio. So, you know, it's not that I'm sexist or I'm part of the gender war here. It's just that most of the kids I work with are boys. And generally, actually, I'm invited in when they're about seven or eight years old or in adolescence. So either the child is is really getting violent and they've heard that I can handle it um, or handle it and help help it get better, not just handle it, sorry. Um, or they're at about seven or eight, parents have gotten a little disillusioned with what they've been automatically told by the school system and the different things that have happened. And if it worked for them, I never meet them. So, you know, that does, I'm not saying it never works. I'm just saying if it works for them, they don't try to get me to come over and show them a new way. But at about seven or eight, I get a lot of my clients because they go, oh, you know, it's not working. I don't know what else is there. And they're hoping for faster change, and that's where neurofeedback comes in. So this young boy was also, um, you know, I actually had met him when he was four, but he was seven or eight when I finally got brought in as an expert and where their ears opened up and, and they wanted to listen. And it's similar to what I had asked uh, Dr. Sheely in that they bought all the myths that the child is very busy with his own self and doesn't care about them and um, didn't respond to their to his name, didn't respond to them, didn't care if they came or went, uh, didn't care who was with them. Um, and I walked in. And I met him for, you know, he didn't remember me from when he was little, obviously. Um, And I met him, and all I saw was a child who is so 
busy maintaining his sensory system. So I thought about this a lot later, and I read, um, I read about a doctor who works, and I think I've mentioned this early in doing the podcast, a doctor who works with sensory issues with babies. And if only we would catch it at that six-month point or sooner. Because a lot of the time, our guys, our artistic guys, have developed along that trajectory because their sensory system is whacked out and they're responding in a way that is making the parents respond differently. So this is the case here. He just looked like he was having trouble with lights, trouble with sounds, trouble with the way his body felt in space, all kinds of trouble in his sensory system. So I told them the story I'm going to tell you now because it changed the shape of the relationship in the home and it seems appropriate to today's show. So I had read in a magazine about this doctor in Houston who teaches moms how to be with their babies who have a sensory problem. And he tells the story of, for example, there's a mom who is holding the baby really close and singing to the baby and trying to breastfeed the baby. And the baby has a sensory system that can't handle multitasking. So either lights off, no sound, I'm feeding, or you can sing to me and I can listen to you, or the lights are on and I'm looking around. But the merging of the sensory system was broken and needed to be repaired. And it was so young. It was just a newborn. It's so young and so possible to make those changes at that time. So he had this mother who was all upset because she couldn't breastfeed and, and the baby was screaming all the time. And he said, okay, lights off. No sound, feed. When the baby's finished feeding, then coo and sing. Then lights on. So he isolated these things, and the baby responded. Stopped crying all the time, started feeding properly. And then he explained, now overlap a little. Now that the baby's comfortable and is well-versed in feeding, go ahead and sing at the end of the, of the feeding or just at the beginning. But just a little overlap. You don't want to lose the ability to feed. And then slowly bring some light in, some candle light, some soft light. Well, before you know it, this baby's pretty sensory system is normalized. So I tell the family this as a means of starting a communication and helping them to get a concept that I'm going to build on. I'm going to use neurofeedback. I'm going to use play. But I want them to recognize that all the natural change and relationship building and learning that would have happened had stalled out for their child. I finished the story and immediately the mom got it. Now this happens sometimes, but it's pretty rare. She got a light bulb go off that was probably filling in the blank from way, way back when. And she was immediately different. She was responding to her child, turning off lights, talking differently, um, talking purposely and at the right moments. And it was like I didn't have to teach her piece by piece. The concept changed the story. Now, I still did piece by piece teaching. Um, he did start to grow and change and, and communicate and care. And he had cared the whole time. He was just too busy taking care of himself to evolve that in a sophisticated way. But what was so amazing for me isn't so much the change that happened with the child in this case, although that was amazing too. 
But what was amazing was to have a parent be in a place where I could tell a story and share a concept. And despite the fact, this is an important point, so please listen up. Despite the fact that they'd spent seven years, a little more, um, not doing any of that, Despite all the guilt she could have laid on herself for not intuitively understanding that, despite all of that that most of the parents do, she just went, I get it, and I'm changing. If we could all do that, our problems would be very small. I'm not, you know, I have this problem too. Admitting that what I, the path I was on <laughs> and invested so much in was wrong is hard. And so to have a parent show me how easy life can be as long as they get the concept, it was life-changing for me as well. So that's the gift of um, teaching in concepts. And the difficulty is that, like in the, in the story where I said, okay, let's talk about booby. We're, we're booby today. Um, <laughs> sometimes the concept's not enough. Sometimes we need something very concrete to hang on to. And I did that with her as well. But this child and her evolved within a week. They had a relationship. It was that quick. So it's not that there wasn't a relationship already there. There just wasn't space for the child to learn how to embrace the relationship that the mom was not actually offering, right? So the minute she knew how to offer it, it was different. Okay, so think about that a lot. Uh, try to take that story with you every time you're faced with the challenge of somebody's giving you a new idea. If it doesn't feel right in your gut, don't embrace it. But if some part of you says, this is right, but I don't want to admit it because it makes me feel guilty, you know you're in good grounds for a little comeuppance and make a difference in yourself so you can make a difference in your child. Or if this is you um, listening to the show because you have autism yourself, do the same for yourself. Go ahead and say, wait a minute, maybe the reason I get overwhelmed is because I'm trying to do it all at once and separate it out a little bit, blend it slowly, and then you'll be able to slowly heal that part of the sensory system that's getting in your way and sticking you in maintenance instead of growth-seeking. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. You've been listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. Our guest today was Dr. Dr. Sheely, or Dr. Rochelle Sheely, and she was marvelous. Um, I just hope you have a wonderful day, and thank you for being here, because without you, I would just be talking to myself. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of A New Spin on Autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself I can't hear